Hey there, everybody. Just a quick note before we begin today's episode. We're introducing some new podcast music today. As the Soil and Roots community continues to grow, we regularly update the website or our materials and sometimes the podcast itself. Our new music was produced by a local artist here in Texas who specializes in a genre known as lo-fi. Many people listen to lo-fi when they want to study or take walks or maybe read a book. It's a relaxing style and often features some nature sounds and soft instrumentation. In other words, it fits perfectly into the mission and vision of Soil and Roots, which is to journey together into deep discipleship. A journey that involves dialogue and introspection, some solitude, quieting our hearts, and learning to listen to the heart of God and others and even our own. In the spirit of blatant nepotism, the local musician happens to be one of my sons, Zach, and you can find him on Spotify under his artist name, Fishu, F-I-S-S-H-U. His music is wonderful if you want to take a nap, just don't take a nap during the podcast. Thanks, enjoy the new music, and today's episode... Welcome to the Soil and Roots Podcast, digging beneath the surface to uncover the hidden ideas that form us, the church, and the culture. I'm Brian Fisher. And I'm Kyle Moody. And I'm Tim Boswell. Oh, we're back yes. together, the three musketeers. <laughs> together Three again. amigos. Again. Yeah, we should explain that we'd actually like Tim to be here every Greenhouse episode, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. he doesn't live near us. No. And he has four kids and an insanely Brand busy schedule. Yeah. So we're just glad that you can show up when you do. Yes. We try to bribe you with food. It seems to work out pretty well. It works really well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the Greenhouse episode of 68, which is uh, Splitters and Joiners. We are in a very short mini-series on the end times and how they impact our view of the kingdom. And since the primary message of the New Testament is the gospel of the kingdom, we should continue to wrestle mm-hmm. with how our specific views of the end times impact our views of the kingdom, which impacts our spiritual formation, Mm -hmm. our journey to become more like Jesus. So this is going to be, I think, no more than six shows total, but we're putting it out there because it actually thinks it's a, you know, I actually think it's a pretty important part of uh, of our discipleship. Mm -hmm. So Kyle, you and I have sort of shared a little bit of our stories and, and the background of how we came to our specific views of the end times, but I think we should put Tim on the spot. Yes, absolutely. And get a little bit of his story. Mm -hmm. So Doc... Why don't you give us a 15-minute soliloquy on the end times? Oh, I was I was looking for a half hour, but yeah. we'll, we'll take 15. That's fine. Don't PhDs talk a lot? I mean, I think I, that's... That's what I've heard. Yeah. I wouldn't know because I'm not one. That, that's all we do. I mean, we just get paid to talk, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> well, so I was a kid of the 80s and 90s, and I remember when all the Left Behind books and movies came out, and, you know, they were huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... They were presented, at least in my circle, as almost like, okay, this is inspired by a true story that sure. hasn't happened yet. These mm-hmm. are real events uh, that they've taken, of course, creative license with, but this is this is founded on fact. And so I was right. We went to a number of different churches as I was growing up. Not didn't bounce around a lot, but um, I went to a, a Lutheran church when I was very young, 
and then First United Methodist for most of my um, older childhood and teenage years. And then I've been in a um, Assemblies of God church uh, ever since then for the past 20 plus years. And I would say the consistent narrative, both within the church and also within our home, was this idea of the end times that gelled very well with the Left Behind stories and with the rapture and with um, the uh, the millennium and many of the things that now I understand um, fall under the rubric of dispensationalism. Mm-hmm. But at the time, there was never any discussion of, there are four different views, primary or three, depending on how you categorize it. And this is the one that we ascribe to in our church. This is the one that our denomination embraces or in our home. This is what we believe to be true. It was just in the same way that someone might preach about Noah and the flood or might preach about tithing or might preach about anything else. And it wasn't presented in a certain hermeneutical framework. Oh, well done, <laughs> sir. Oh, wow. Well done, sir. Slipped it right in there. I lo- it's a great word. Effortlessly. Thank you so much. Very yep. smooth. Yep. It was just we're going to talk about the Bible. Yeah. We're going to preach on this subject, and everyone agreed this is what's going to happen. This is the right way to interpret Revelation. And Revelation was always so out there to me. It always felt so strange, even, dare I say it, bizarre, Mm. many of the images and many of the things that it talked about that I was too off-put by it to really dive in and read it and study and wrestle Mm -hmm. it, as I did with many of the other books. Mm. And so I think I kind of had in my head, I'm never going to understand it, so I'm not going to try. Mm. And everyone else apparently all agrees on what it means. <laughs> so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go with well, that. At what right. point did you become aware that there were other alternative perspectives? I was absolutely an adult. It was probably at some point in my late thirties, maybe. How which did is you do horrible. that? Horrible. Um in a study Bible. Oh. And there was an article that said, these are the other views. And I'm like, wait a minute, there's other views. Mm. And then it wasn't until, you know, even more recently than that, that I started to dig into, well, what do I actually think about this and why? And what do you call that? And how are these different views complementary? How do they differ from each other? So it was most of my life before I even grasped the idea that there were other ways to interpret it. And it was very recently that um, have engaged in any of the work of kind of uncovering that. Hmm. Now, looking back on your childhood and your, you know, teenage 20s, early 30s, did the way that you conducted yourself as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, did that, now looking back on it, the way that you were introduced to the end times or the way that you were taught that did that have an impact on how you handled your, your faith and how you handled discipleship? I would say that it introduced, uh, internal cognitive dissonance by Mm. which I mean, there was friction or tension between what felt to me to be true about God and the overall narrative of the Bible, and now I understand it as the narrative of the kingdom, although I didn't have the verbiage for it then. And what I was hearing about the overwhelming emphasis on evangelism and that our primary purpose is to um, accept Christ, be converted, and rescue as many others as we can. So 
for a long time, I would not say that I had the mental tools to really examine and understand why there was that tension. But even Mm. from an early age, I absolutely felt it. Mm. I think part of our objective here, you know, and we're not taking a specific position. I'm, I'm doing that on purpose because my intent is to articulate uh, the four positions, and now we're sort of boiling them down into two just to simplify matters for ourselves so that we at least step back and wrestle with them, the underlying ideas that drive them and the consequences of those perspectives. And I think it's totally understandable that, you know, if we grew up in a home or in a thir- church setting with a certain view, that that's what we thought was the only view. Yeah. I mean, you know, Kyle and I were joking about last week that there are four views of baptism, four views of communion, at least seven views of the atonement. And, you know, let's be clear, the vast majority of us don't know that those views exist yeah. unless you're a Bible nerd or right. somebody who is, you know, particularly interested in a, in a certain topic. In episode 68, I basically took Michael Heiser's premise, which is we can, with gross generalizations distill these down into the idea of splitters and joiners that in one storyline, the New Testament splits the story of Israel and church into two separate stories. And then the joiners joins them, merges them together. That's not the best vocabulary, but you get the, you get the general sense of where I'm going. And so in general, all millennialism and post millennialism fits into the joiner category in general. And in general, the splitter category is dispensationalism with, some pre-mills. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to echo what Tim said is uh, I never really wrestled with this until gosh, I mean, I'm 47. So I would say late thirties, early forties mm. is when I really started diving into this to kind of see what is going on. Cause it, like I said, growing up, it was never really talked about. It was alluded to, but not talked about. Right. And so now diving into it and just, just as you were talking about, you know, like pre-mill, post-mill, ah-mill, splitters, joiners, all these things. I think that, do you, well, and I want to I want to ask you guys this. Do you think that there is a problem with putting labels on it? Because once we do that, don't we automatically assume that we're in a camp and the other camps are, are we un- unconsciously thinking that they're wrong or they're being misled or? I mean, there's always a danger to labeling anything. But we're human beings, so we label and category stuff. Like I'm yeah. not sure it's escapable. And yes, the if you read authors and scholars who are firmly implanted in one camp, they absolutely think everybody else is wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, without question, that's why they argue their position. So again, we would look at that, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, because we're wrestling with these things, trying to figure out what the story of the Bible is and how the Bible is to be interpreted, and. You know, this is it's sort of the idea of Paul in Acts. Like it says, he debated, he argued. You know, he was trying to uh, take his position and promote the truth. And it's obvious that there was conflict in that. Mm-hmm. So to me, it, there, there might even be a greater danger of not knowing where mm-hmm. we are. <laughs> if we're unable to determine whether or not we're a splitter or a joiner or where mm-hmm. we fit into one of those four categories... Uh, I'd, I'd rather have somebody that has that definition in their mind and understands what that means versus somebody who sort of holds to positions that don't even fit. And I, mm. I, I come across that somewhat regularly that someone holds to pieces and parts that mm. actually don't align. They don't make, you can't put them together. Mm. 
And so it's it's better, I think, to find somebody or to or for us to make those decisions and to settle into you know a category. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that has been most illuminating for me in recent times, because partly why I didn't wrestle with them is because they did seem peripheral. I thought, well, I don't really know what's going to happen. A lot of this doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand it. I think maybe it's prophetic. Maybe it's apocalyptic. Maybe it's symbolic. Maybe it's literal. I have no idea. I'll find out when I when I die. God will let me know. Or if Christ comes before that, I'll find out that way. But it doesn't really impact my life now. I'm, go- I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm going to live um, as holy and righteous and sanctified a life as I can, but it's far in the future. It, it doesn't really impact me. And that, I think, was my mindset. But once you start to realize all of the downstream effects, you can understand that it actually has drastic impact on our day-to-day decisions and how, how we view things. And that idea of viewing things through a certain lens is the other, I suppose, recognition that has been truly freeing to me as an adult and in recent years as I've gotten farther into studying scripture, I think part of this view that we can tend to have of the Bible, we want so much to hold on to it as defending it as the inerrant word of God. It's every single word of it is true, and it is, but it's easy to go from there to I can open it up and pull one meaning from it and believe that I understand with 100% accuracy what God is trying to say to me. And that's a very juvenile approach to the Bible. As I got older, I started realizing there are different translations, there's all these different notes that I can go into to see about all the other textual influences. I can figure out there are actually many interpretations of this particular passage. Mm-hmm. Let's wrestle with this. Let's look at the context, figure out what's going on before and after. Let's not pluck one verse out. Let's understand the grand narrative of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that's when you start to really dive deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, In my view, it frees you. So there are, there are undertones that are emotional undertones beneath these views that are I think, legitimate and should be explored. So it's hard to look at the end times views as a purely academic exercise because we're dealing with people and we're dealing with passions. Oh, yeah. Right? So let's just take the splitters, for example. So a splitter, if we're a splitter, we hold the two people to plan that the Bible tells the story of the people of Israel and the church and that those two stories run throughout history. Mm -hmm. Uh, If we're with Christians that don't hold to that, then we might be inclined to think that a joiner doesn't honor the the God's chosen people from the Old Testament the way that we should. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's been ac- accusations of anti-Semitism mm-hmm. between the two camps because we because the the joiners don't honor God's promises to the nation of Israel the way that He intended, and therefore. You know, the, the term is actually replacement theology. I mean, a splitter will accuse the joiner of replacing Israel. These are a provocative emotional terms. I mean, mm-hmm. these are not, you know, two plus two equals six, and we're going to argue about it. This, right. is, this is deeply embedded things of the faith. Mm-hmm. The joiner is going to say to the splitter, hey, you guys think that there's going to be a third temple rebuilt. In some cases, with animal sacrifices, they find it offensive. Mm-hmm. Because they're going to point to the book of Hebrews and say, 
there is no third temple. Jesus, what are you guys doing? Jesus mm-hmm. is the temple. And they get emotional about it. Mm-hmm. They find that to be offensive. Mm-hmm. So it, it would be nice if both parties could sit in the room and, and they can. However, we are dealing with with things more than what does this text say? Does that right. make sense? No, absolutely. So my question is, is it, I mean, cause you said it's possible. Is it really though? I mean, cause if it boils down to your, I mean, almost on heresy, if somebody is thinking something opposite of what you're saying, or you're saying that, you know, if this other camp is saying, well, that goes against what I think scripture is saying, is there really a way to sit there and have a good conversation about it? Yeah, I, I just think... What would it, that look like? Well, I think it does happen. I mean, you can find well, yeah, videos online of different scholars having polite, rational debate. You can you can find um, books that I think present, uh, that present appropriate uh, perspectives. But I think what we've explored is it requires uh, an understanding that we both want the other's goodness. That's, yes. That we're going to wrestle with this because we do disagree on a passionate topic and mm-hmm. it is, but at the end of the day, I still want God's best for you. And I trust that you want God's best for me. Right. And actually respecting the passion that that person brings to sure. the other side of the table. Yeah, it's I mean, understandable. I think that's on both cases. It's understandable. right. But I think that it's so easy to get when somebody does express that passion that you feel like, well, I'm being attacked or I'm, I should, I have to match that. Or I have, I just think that there's a lot of ways that it causes a lot of problems, but I, I mean, but I, think, but I think I the think path that, of a deep disciple has to be willing to engage in that. Discourse. Of course. That's my, yeah. Do you, do you not, do you, does it sound like I'm not saying that? No, no, no. Oh, okay. I, no, I think okay. you are. I'm, I, yeah. I, but there's, there's, my point is it takes an underlying, look, what I'm, what I'm everybody thinks they're biblical. Hmm. Everybody thinks they're correct. Like, you know, I read so much of this for the last year behind the scenes. I've been studying these perspectives and trying to get my arms around what's really going on beneath mm-hmm. the surface. And I, you know, lots of smart people, but most of the texts, most of the arguments will cherry pick scriptures that align with their view and will tend to ignore the passages that might raise questions. Right. And there's, there's frequent accusations of other viewpoints being, it's not wrong. Meaning that there's accusations they're wrong, but it goes deeper than that. Either you're extra biblical or unbiblical. I've mm-hmm. addressed this. Yeah. And I think those claims should be really, the, the, they, those should be levied very carefully mm-hmm. uh, because um, that we're all reading the same Bible. It's a complex book. Um, you know, it's an ancient book. And so it wasn't even written originally for us. I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know what I'm saying? Right. We're not yeah. the original right. readers of the book. Right. So the there should be a winsomeness to this that doesn't automatically judge somebody's heart or intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've mentioned I have friends in all four camps. I have pastor friends in all four camps, mm-hmm. and they're all wonderful people who love yeah. Jesus and want to become more like Him. Yeah. Um, but if you get them sitting down and talking about this, you know, it's it <laughs> might be some fireworks. Yeah. It interested me when you talked about whether or not we view the Old Testament through a certain lens of the New Testament, as far as whether or not it clarifies it, expounds on it, expands it. Um, that was new to me. Can you tell me a bit more about that and how that might work in practice or an example of how that might come into play? Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the, the disagreement comes around, well, lots of different things, but how, what do we mean by literal? Uh, that word has been 
defined and redefined and and there's accusations between both camps about when it applies and when it doesn't apply and it gets to the root of what kind of text are we reading Mm. so we tend to read the bible through 21st century western eyes which is a highly rationalized culture that wants you know factual accuracy uh and details on everything and yet we're reading primarily Jewish meditation literature, certainly the Old Testament, which is not written uh, in that vein. It's it's It serves a different purpose, which for our brains is somewhat foreign. So there's been quite a bit of work to kind of filter through that. But a, a splitter is going to say when God made certain, I'm just using an example, land promises to Israel when he promised them a patch of land that they would enjoy forever, uh, because that hasn't been fulfilled literally in their view, then that means that they're still going to get it literally. Their claim is that God is faithful to what he said. And so if we somehow think those promises have been nullified or aren't going to be fulfilled or, or were somehow spiritualized uh, in Jesus, now we're, we're doing damage to God's reputation. That's the, the splitter view. So mm-hmm. the Old Testament is foundational. It has... Uh, equal interpretive weight to the New Testament and the New Testament does not transform or change or spiritualize anything in the Old Testament. That's that's where the literal word tends to come into play. So a joiner is going to say the New Testament absolutely amplifies and transforms and changes Old Testament meanings and it does no damage to God's reputation. It is in fact part of how Jewish literature works and part of how the narrative is supposed to play out. So in most cases, they're going to see the land promises as already fulfilled in Joshua. But even if they don't, they're going to say the Old Testament promises are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the new Israel. He's the new David. He's the new Moses. He's the new Abraham. Um, And we're not doing a disservice to the nation of Israel because the nation of Israel doesn't get, you know, a plot of land in the Middle East, they, they are promised the entire world through Jesus if they follow him as part of a new global multi-ethnic community. And so it comes down to what you believe, how the Bible you think is written, what its structure is, and how transformative, that's not the right way to say it, whether or not the New Testament through Jesus actually does transform, change, reinterpret things that were said in the old. And that argument is at the heart of of how you get from one person, one plan, to two people, two plan. It has to do with the literal fulfillment of things that one camp says they have to be literal, so Israel has a plan, and the other camp that says, no, the New Testament routinely transforms, and it's all transformed in Jesus, and it isn't two people. It's one beautiful multi-ethnic community going forward. Brian, what do you think as far as people who don't even have a full vocabulary yet to discuss these positions and these concepts. People like me who are fascinated by it and can look now and see perhaps what camp we were raised in and can look at some of the hard effects and uh, life effects of that, but don't understand all of it well enough that we would have the confidence to engage in a winsome debate with someone because we might not feel that we know enough to even talk about it. So mm. do you think that, for instance, in greenhouse groups or others who are wanting to have meaningful conversations like this, what does that look like for those who are not 
biblical scholars, who are those who are not deeply grounded in all these four perspectives, but are just learning maybe that they even exist? What do the, what might those conversations look like? There are, I mean, vast amounts of resources now available for free online that outline the basics of the four positions. So, you know, the first step is to be aware that there are four and that they've all been held by extremely well-meaning, brilliant folks in different mm-hmm. church communities all over the world and to at least give them a hearing and to determine, you know, where where you gravitate towards. Now, I'm, I'm not saying it's a personal preference. I'm saying based on your, you know, whether the Bible's telling two stories or one and whether or not the New Testament does amplify and interpret the old or not. I mean, those are, I think, two fundamentally important questions from which our end times views should be derived, not from, you know, your favorite internet preacher who, quite frankly, takes talking points off of a friendly website to dog the other system. Uh, and be okay having conversations with people that know more. I mean, this is not a this is not a race to you know be the smartest guy in the room. This is a this is a legitimate effort to wrestle with things that theologians have wrestled with for hundreds of years, in an attempt to become more like Jesus. So, you know, I speak with a lot of folks who know far more than I do, and an approach that is curious uh, raises some difficult questions and. They know if they're going to talk to me, I'm going to raise some difficult questions. I'm a curious person. And um, be okay not knowing the answer or saying I don't know or I need to go do some more homework. And it's what I said a few episodes ago. If you're going to take a hardline stance, if you're going to be a hardline, pick one. All millennialist, you better be able to debate the other three as well as your own. That's my opinion. Yeah. You should become saturated. I think most people don't have a defined view. They have an ethos an environment that they were either raised in or their church is in. And they may not know the names. They don't know the fancy titles. And I think that's fine. But when we contemplate just how central this is, central, yeah, influential, impactful it is on our view of the kingdom and thus on our discipleship. We, if, we, if we are unclear, we should at least go scout out some sources to understand the basics and the, the assumptions on, on which they're built. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Glad to have you with us. If you have any questions on this topic or others, feel free to shoot us an email at fish at soilandroots.org. As always, you can get more information on the website at soilandroots.org. We are listener funded. So if you feel like supporting the work of Soil and Roots as we dig deep into the deeper ends of discipleship and uh, continue to help form and support greenhouses, you can do that as well online at soilandroots.org. Wonderful to have you with us. We'll see you next time.